With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We're in New Zealand. Good morning to you all. It is uh, Tuesday and uh, a fine one in parts of the country, but we hear the West Coast is going to cop it, so uh, our sympathy goes uh, to uh, to you people down there. Uh, we don't need it, but uh, sounds like it's on its way. Uh, we're going to start this morning uh, and have a bit of a reshuffle with uh, the panel uh, just after um, just after we get through what we're doing today, actually, to be fair. We're going to get Mark Watson on the line and uh, Aidan McLaughlin. Uh, we'll be talking, uh, of course, about uh, some rugby matters, some cricket matters, and uh, some Warriors matters as well uh, in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, just after uh, 9.30, uh, we'll be uh, asking you to call in with your thoughts. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys on uh, 0800 150 811 and you gals as well. Um, if you'd like to have uh, your opinion on where do you think this uh, All Black saga is going and well, aren't they running out of time to do anything about it? I mean, uh, that Argentinian test in Christchurch is, what, 12 days away? Maybe less. Uh, aren't we just sort of cutting it a bit fine here? Uh, just after 10 o'clock, uh, we'll head to Barbados, actually, and speak to uh, Devin Conway, of course, Black Caps uh, opening batsman and wicketkeeper in the T20 form of things. So we'll ask uh, Devon, uh, Devon about uh, how things are progressing on that small tour in the Caribbean. Uh, and then uh, after uh, after the news at uh, around about 10.35, we'll talk to Wes Clark. He's the assistant uh, coach for the Black Ferns. And, uh, of course, they've got a, a big uh, encounter this weekend, the next two weekends, actually, against Australia, home and away. Um, so we'll, we'll catch up with uh, where they're at and uh, what progress they're making at World Cup not too far away, October the 8th. Uh, Brendan Popperwell, just before 11 o'clock, and then after 11, uh, what's going on at Manchester United? And there's only one bloke to talk to about that, and that is uh, Ricardo Ball, who is suffering at the moment. And about quarter to 12 this morning, we shall have our Mount Rushmore for the week. Um, West Indies greats, West Indies great cricket players. So uh, Logan and I have uh, picked four each, and we'll go through them uh, around about quarter to 12 this morning before we hand over to Stephen McIver at midday. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Aidan McLaughlin uh, out of Havelock North and uh, Mark Watson uh, join us this morning. Uh, fellas, uh, very interesting uh, developments still keep coming out of the all-black camp. Um, Aidan McLaughlin, uh, David Moffat now calling for Mark Robinson's resignation. Of course, David Moffat, former NZR boss. What have you made of that? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Mark. Uh, well, I'm a little bit bored of hearing about David Moffat, to be honest with you. He said the same thing about two and a half weeks ago when someone asked him. So 
Um, I appreciate a few things have happened since then, and he's reiterating it. But, uh, I mean, my thoughts on the matter are that Mark Robinson is the CEO of New Zealand Rugby. He is not just the CEO of the All Blacks. And I don't think we'll find anyone that thinks that the uh, the situation has been handled well, especially over the last few days. I mean, it was pretty fast, it wasn't at that press conference and what have you. But that said, um, I think there's a lot more going on at MZR, which he is in charge of, uh, that uh, represents his role uh, a bit more fully. And I think there's some good things going on at MZR. Um, you know, there's uh, the growth of the women's game, um, trying to grow the Pacific game, um, mental health initiatives in the community. So I think there's a lot going on at NZR, which is good, which we don't really hear about. It's unfortunate that there's been so much concentration on the negative stuff recently, and I understand why, and it's justified. But uh, in terms of him resigning, he's not going to resign, and he's not going to be removed. Okay, uh, Mark Watson, what's your take on that? Yeah, slightly different. Uh, look, I, I think a lot of what are the problems that are in place, I actually put back on the previous administration. I still put a lot back on Steve Chu and a back on Steve Henson for, as I've always said, for eroding large parts of the game in this country, which I think is part of the reasons we're sort of finding ourselves at the crossroads at the moment. Uh, look, a, head, a fish does rot from the head down. I don't think they've handled it at all well. I still don't think they're handling it particularly well. I think there are a lot of aspects of New Zealand rugby which are in real trouble that do need to be addressed. Um, uh, interesting comment that, look, he's in charge, you know, being CEO of New Zealand rugby is not just being CEO of the All Blacks, but unfortunately New Zealand rugby has very much made rugby about the All Blacks. So, you know, they are seeing the stage, they are everything, uh, so much the rest of rugby is put on hold in the name of the All Blacks, and they're not winning at the moment. Um, you know, you look at club rugby, you look at the Mitre 10 Cup, you look at every other aspect of the game, and it's in real trouble here at the moment. And I think we need somebody with some vision. I'll, I'll say this, I think Mark Robertson's appointment was about as transparent as that of the Fosters. Um, I think everybody felt that he was always going to get the job, even though we did hear a lot of PR about how they'd spread the net far and wide to look for the next best CEO. Like they said, they spread the net far and wide to find the next best all-black coach. Uh, it always was going to be Ian Foster, and I think it was always going to be Mark Robinson. Um, you know, the All Blacks need to be winning. That, that is the shop window. Um, and so I, I think there's some merit in what David Moffat's saying, but then it comes back to it, who do you put in charge? Um, and do we need an evolution, or do we need a revolution? If you were to suddenly get rid of Mark Robinson, suddenly to get rid of Ian Foster, then it starts to look a bit like a revolution. And I guess that's the decision we need to make. Well, let's uh, look at a timeline here for this decision, this pending decision, uh, Aidan McLaughlin. Uh, I, I estimate about 12 days to the All Blacks run out uh, at Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch against Argentina. Now, 12 days. So uh, I imagine they're all home now, just uh, put their feet up and spend some uh, quality family time before they uh, get either named or left out of the next squad for Argentina. They won't have as big a squad because they don't need as big a squad because they're at home. So uh, what, are we, what are we expecting? There's a whole lot of things around the all-black naming, etc., that we're waiting for, but we're running out of time, aren't we, surely? Oh, we're definitely running out of time. I mean, I think Mark Robinson should have, been, uh, should have made the final decision. He should have been speaking to the board remotely, um, and they should have made a decision, whatever the, the conclusion was at the end of that second test. Um, they should have made it. They shouldn't be bringing this back to New Zealand and... Uh, and, and dragging things out because, as you say, we've got a, another, we've got four more matches in the rugby championship coming up very quickly, especially the one in Christchurch. So, um, yeah, as I said earlier, I think it's been handled very, very poorly. But um, 
I, I think yesterday, I think I flip-flopped about three or four times about what I think will actually happen. I can't actually make up my mind now. And that's that's probably half the problem, isn't it? We, we need a clear path. We need a clear direction. And um, it's just not good enough. If it happens Wednesday, Thursday this week, I think it's pretty ridiculous, to be honest. Well, it's it's got to happen today, doesn't it? Yeah, Mark? yeah it, it does. Well, should it happen today? No, it does. And I think Egan Foster needs to go. I think one test doesn't save him. I think he's been in this game for, what, two, three years now. A lot of all-black losses, a lot of test losses. I'm pretty sure that if we play the South Africa in a third test this weekend, I'm not sure we'd still go in with that much confidence. The problem is if you keep Egan Foster appointed, what you're actually saying is that it's OK to lose test matches between Rugby World Cups as long as we get the Rugby World Cup right. And I think that then puts New Zealand rugby um, in a perilous position um, because, as I've stated earlier, you know, we've made rugby in this country very much about the All Blacks. The All Black brand is about winning. So if you're going to make it all about the All Blacks, you've got to keep winning. Otherwise, we reduce rugby to once every four years. And with the game already in trouble, we can't allow that to happen at an international level. I don't think they've got any choice yet. I think Ian Foster's been given enough. Uh, I, I find it ridiculous they go and ask senior players what they think. I mean, of course they're going to back their coach. Their coach is picking them. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think they've got a choice. I think everybody knows what the decision should be, but I just hope that they do put a lot of support around Ian Foster if, in fact, he is sacked. I agree. Uh, this has uh, been a terrible time for him um, mentally. Aidan, I, w- I would be thinking he's felt it. Um, I hope he's got a, a really good support group around him. He's come out and said, look, I'm resilient, um, and, you know, I'm pretty tough and I can take it. But uh, it's pretty brave talk when, you know, behind the scenes, you, you, you know, you spend a lot of time by yourself thinking about this issue. I mean, no one wants to be not liked uh, at all. No, I mean, that's not a, a thing, that, uh, not a human thing to, to, to actually be disliked and enjoy being disliked. And, and that's the situation he sort of finds himself in. And he, he kind of feels it's the majority of the country that feels that way, Aidan. So mentally it must be terribly um, terribly uh, affecting uh, his daily life I would have thought 100% and I think the even more unfortunate thing is that I think he, he's known that most most of the rugby public have been against him from the start um, because as Mark alluded to it wasn't the most transparent process you're ever going to find and most people actually thought that another person should get the job so um, right from day one he's been battling and that's you know, he can get away with that as long as he's winning. But as Mark says, as soon as you start losing and there's so much emphasis on the All Blacks, then really he's, he's stuck in no man's land. And, he's you know, he's been away from home um, mentally. It must be so difficult. He, you know, he kind of joked a little bit, didn't he, about losing weight. But there's actually a really serious aspect to what he said because the amount of stress he's been under wouldn't surprise me at all if he's lost some weight due to it. And um, the fact that it's now dragging on for a few more days it's just it's just even worse for his mental state. You're absolutely right. It does need some some serious support around him. Whatever happens, really. You look at the Olivia Podmore situation. You look at the yeah. Paul Green situation in Australia. And um, yeah, look. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm in a media game where you know I'm driven by passion. I've had plenty of highs, but boy, I've had plenty of lows too. And um, yeah, I can't imagine. You know, what you almost. What would become the first All Black coach in history to be sacked? Am I right in saying that? Is it we ever sacked another yes. All Black coach prior to the end of their contract or prior to the end of their tenure? Not to my knowledge, Mark. Not to my knowledge at all. So that that would be a first. Um, and uh, I wouldn't be thinking too many. Uh, and if, uh, of course, if Ian Foster goes, then Sam Kane will go as well because um, you know there, there'll be a change in on field leadership without doubt if uh, Ian Foster goes. So. 
I wouldn't have thought uh, too many times in our history uh, All Black captains have been sacked as well, um, you know, as uh, during their playing time, along with a coach. I, I think that would be an absolute first mark. So uh, we're breaking new ground here. Yeah, and it's not the legacy you want to leave, is it? And you don't want to be that guy um, that everybody's talking about behind your back. And we've got to remember that. Like, I, I'm in agreement that Foster should go, but, you know, I've had a little bit of dealings with him, and he's a hell of a nice man. I'm sure he's a wonderful husband, wonderful father, and a good guy. But they also know, too, that they are walking into the cauldron. Uh, these former All Black coaches coming out and saying, oh, the behaviour by the New Zealand public's not good enough. It's always been that way. And if we didn't have it, I don't think we'd have the results. And people don't... If people can't handle that, even if it's Scott Robertson, don't put your hand up for the job. It's, it's always going to be that way. And to be fair, it should always be that way. Unfortunately, social media has made it probably a little bit more um, visual and, um, yeah, and probably a little bit more nasty. But, yeah, if, if, you, if you're going to live by the sword, you've got to be prepared to die by the sword. Yeah, and it's a hell of a sword. Uh, and the, the, one of the things I, I think uh, too, um, Aidan, the, one of the reasons the players have come out now, it's almost one every day comes out and says we're fully back and we fully support him, he's our man, etc. Is I, I think they might be seeing something in him, they're the closest ones to him, that uh, they're just a little bit worried about. Uh, and you know, that, that there might be an issue to Ian Foster where his character is at, uh, just changing a wee bit. Uh, so his players are, are the ones coming out, and uh, and that's off their own bat. And it's not the, as if they're being asked for their opinion. They're coming out forefront, up front. Yeah, that's right. It was interesting that um, you know two two probably the two most senior players, Sam Kane uh, and Sam Sam Whitelock, came out yesterday and, and spoke to media in South Africa before they jumped on that plane. And yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think they are. They're the ones that have worked with him for many years now. Both of them. Um, and obviously very closely over the, the last decade or so, and they will have seen a change in his character, uh, you know, behind the scenes, the stuff that we just can't possibly know. So I think it was yeah, very telling, actually, that they came out and done that. OK, let's uh, change uh, tack a little bit to, um, to Ross Taylor's book, uh, Black and White. Boy, um, Mark Watson, there's been a few revelations out of that. He's copped a few headlines on stuff, etc., since he launched it last week. Yeah, fascinating. I was always waiting for Ross Taylor to um, come out and give his side of the story, particularly around the captaincy issue. I was one of the few people that I think John Parker back in the day uh, sent me an original copy of the Taylor McCullum report, which was a pretty much of a bit of a rundown of how things played out. And it's clearly been tied up in a whole lot of legal issues at the moment. And um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be two sides to the story here. Uh, but boy, you got to start questioning perhaps the integrity of some of these um, players in the background and some of the management and arguably even um, you've even maybe got to ask some questions of CEO David White um, in regards to certainly if you're going to take Ross Taylor verbatim on what he's sort of implying. Uh, In saying that I think cricket has moved on now. I think cricket have learnt some lessons um, and I think there is probably a lot more transparency around the game than perhaps what there was. It was not even that long ago, was it? We're only sort of talking 10 years but yeah, look, I mean, what I admire, I admire about Ross Taylor through all of that, through all of that, this guy said, you know, OK, I'll miss the tour to South Africa, but I'm going to come back, I'm going to play for New Zealand, and I'm going to be the best I can be. And that must have been incredibly difficult. And then you look at how he did shine in the one-day game, the way he did in the test game, he got guys like Martin Crowe behind him. 
he said, look, chase your place in history, leave a legacy. And, and I think that is testament to Ross Taylor. I think that's the thing we should take out of it, because I think a lot of other players might have just thrown the toys and said, I've had a guts full of this, I can't do this anymore. I love my country, but my country clearly doesn't love me. And I think that is the real credit for Ross Taylor. Mm, it, it, um, I think the, the most um, interesting thing that I've read, and I, I know the situation pretty well, but there's, there's things I didn't quite realise, one of which was that uh, he felt insecure by a lot of his teammates. I, I, I could get the point, uh, Aidan, where um, Mike Hessen obviously wanted a change and uh, those around the coaching area probably supported that. But I had no idea that um, that there were, there were that many players in the dressing room who um, perhaps did not want Ross Taylor in charge. So that must have been um, quite a difficult time when you sensed that. Yeah, for sure. I, I bought my copy of the book on Saturday and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think it's a really, really fascinating read. And um, th- those that's one of the things that I certainly picked up on as well. And, oh, hey, I guess you'd, you'd know better than most, Smithy. I guess cr- cricket touring is a, is a different beast to mo- most sporting environments, isn't it? You're away from home generally for a, a long time um, and you're in each other's pockets and I guess clicks do develop. Um, and unfortunately, in this case, it certainly seems that Ross was on the uh, the, the other side of a particularly uh, a click that w- was not good for him. Um, and when you're in that position of, of being captain, that's a very, very awkward and lonely place, I'd imagine, to be in. But uh, yeah, it, it just goes to show, really, that that whole touring environment for cricket, um, you know, it's not always a good place to be, is it? Uh, it appears not because um, there is a, a, a lot of downtime. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of um, time where you've got to sit and reflect on things and you, you want to be pretty happy with uh, what's going on at home and what's going on around you. And quite clearly um, that uh, tour of Sri Lanka was just a nightmare, um, Mark Watson, in, in terms of what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? The players that I think he pointed out, I think I think he refers to Jacob Orham and Kyle Mills has been a couple of them. It's interesting, those players, well, didn't really go on and leave much of a legacy, good one-day players, but their phone's not going to ring, and I think Ross Taylor ended up coming out the better man for all of it. But you're right, I mean, any time you get a small group, we're all, we've all been in those environments, we're all guilty of all the little clicks. Um, you know, you're still dealing with guys in their early 20s and stuff, and yeah, they don't have necessarily a lot of life experience, and I'm sure that a lot of them as they go older, will reflect and probably phone Ross and possibly even say, look, you know, you're right, mate, we weren't good, and you'd hope in time that you know, they're the bigger men and can perhaps make the apology if, if that's in fact, is what is required. Uh, but, look, it goes back to what we were just saying about Ian Foster. It just shows the importance, though, of just making sure, even on these tours, that you've got those support people in place because, you know, you call it, is it bullying? Well, it's certainly a form of psychological bullying, isn't it? And, um, yeah, players do need to be protected from it. You know, they are vulnerable. Uh, they are young men. Um, it's not easy. You know, you've got the weight of expectation and pressure anyway, let alone, you know, whether your teammates are talking about you behind your back. OK, uh, can we just pop back to uh, the uh, the All Blacks just for a second, um, Mark Watson? Roger Tuovasa-Shek experiment, success or failure? Well, we haven't really seen a lot of him, have we? Um, I think I felt it was always a PR move. I never felt that he was defensively good enough. I, I don't think he'd done enough in the number 12 jersey for the Blues and enough this season to get picked up. Um, when you saw so many other very good players missing out and the All Blacks 
um, providing rationale on why those players like Ethan DeGroote missed out and then suddenly you go and pick a guy like Roger Tuivasa-Shek. I think he's got potential. I'd still like to see him play the out wider. I'd like to see him maybe given an opportunity on the wing. Uh, I just wonder at second 5-8 whether he's got enough room and time to um, bring in that step that he's got to bring in the skills that make Roger Tuivasa-Shek so 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 good, but I think I, I think if it was a, an, a successful experiment, I, I think he would have, we would have seen him get a lot more game time, which we didn't get. Quite clearly for me, um, in an area, Aiden, where the All Blacks have still perhaps uh, have unanswered questions, i.e. the midfield. Um, he only got uh, what uh, ten minutes against Ireland uh, in a Test match, which was going downhill fast anyway. So, what can we read into the the Roger Tuivasa Sheik experience because it, it got so much profile to begin with? Uh, and then nothing now. Yeah, I was really surprised he even got named on the bench for that third test against the Irish Mueller Smithy. Um, I just, uh, I, I didn't agree with him being named in the squad. I think he would have uh, been, I think it would have been better for him just coming into the Auckland NPC environment. He could be playing games week in, week out um, and just learning his trade a bit more. And then if he, if he made some really good strides and the All Blacks maybe needed to call on someone, maybe there's a few injuries or something uh, for the end of season tour, then maybe he'd be in a better position. Yeah, he'll have learned plenty in that in that All Blacks environment. Of course, he will. But um, but I think the best thing for him is we get him more game time. And uh, mm. is he is he going to be kept in the All Black squad now? I'd imagine he will. If they, if they were to drop him now from the squad, then it's probably a PR dis- not disaster with what's going on at the moment. But uh, it'll be looked on unfavourably. Um, so I think they've made the better got a line it now. But for me, shouldn't have been in the squad in the first place. I was surprised he got the, the nod for the third test. I'd have him back at the Auckland NPC team. OK, here's uh, one just to... Oh, I, I think, yes? Sorry, I just think Stephen Perifetta was the guy that I'd like to have seen get some game time, either at fullback or first five. Um, I think there was a real opportunity to blood him. I think he looked really, really good for the Blues. He looks like the finished product. And he looks like a guy who just, yeah, just, just under pressure. It, it seems to be able to handle the pressure. And we won't know because we, he hasn't been given a chance. No, that's a good point. Actually, I forgot he was on, even on the even on tour. There you go. It's an, it, uh, quite incredible that. Um, Aiden, Aiden, um, and and Mark, I'll give you uh, about one second to think about this. Aiden, you can go first. Greatest ever West Indian cricketer that you can remember. Greatest ever West Indian cricketer. Viv Richards. Vivian Richards, just like that. Aiden McLaughlin, Mark Watson. Oh, Viv Richards, Garfield Sobers. Uh, Malcolm Marshall and Joel Garner. That's my four for your. Um, that's my four for your. Um, um, yeah, Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. I've enjoyed chewing the fat over those issues. Just, just hope. Let's just hope um, we get some decision out of uh, New Zealand rugby, so we can all uh, look forward to this uh, Test match against Argentina. Without too many question marks. Uh, so Aidan McLaughlin, Mark Watson have been the panel this morning. Thank you, guys. Uh, and we'll have another panel uh, probably a little bit later tomorrow morning. We've done some reshuffling because we need to get to uh, Devon Conway in the Barbados at uh, a specific point in time. So uh, we'll be back very shortly here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Heading to the Caribbean uh, after this news break uh, with Araha. Where we're catching up uh, with Devon Com. I've had him on the show before, uh, interesting uh, young man, uh, but uh, his form was very good in that uh, recent T20 series. We'll talk to him about that and uh, other matters uh, around the Black Caps with the, the series going on against the West Indies. So uh, we'll get to Devon very shortly.
The Black Caps uh, white ball tour around the world continues to pick up uh, series wins. The latest uh, T20 uh, series uh, in Kingston against the West Indies uh, in three matches. New Zealand comfortably won that series with the, winning the first two uh, by 13 runs in the first and 90 runs in the second. Uh, uh, wasn't able uh, to get up and win the third one, which uh, meant that uh, their wonderful uh, touring run uh, had come to an end. Now attention of course turns to the 50 over format of the game with the Black Caps to play three matches versus the West Indies in Barbados uh, touring the Caribbean. It's a hard life but someone has to do it. Well it's, uh, it is. It's an interesting life I, I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, I won't say it's absolutely fantastically fun particularly when you're on the receiving end of um, some of their fast bowlers but aside from that Aside from that, it is uh, it can be pretty tough. Although I, I will say, and uh, we'll probably mention this about quarter to twelve, uh, that uh, the fast bowling attack back then, I believe, was a little bit uh, tougher than the one they have to encounter these days. In fact, some of the ones these days I haven't quite uh, recognised in terms of their names. So uh, we're just waiting to get uh, Demon Conway up uh, through our system. We understand he's waiting on the other end. We're just going to make uh, that point of uh, contact and uh, hopefully we shall get him. I still haven't got the thumbs up. So, yeah, interesting. Um, the tour uh, after that, of course, the New Zealand side head to Darwin. Uh, they've got three one-day internationals in uh, the, about, uh, the first six or seven days of September, um, which will be vitally important, of course, because all these games go towards uh, the competition in terms of the World One-Day International League and that, of course, goes towards uh, rankings, etc., for the World Cup. Now, the World Cup for 50-over cricket uh, is in, in India next year. Uh, the World uh, Cup for cricket, T20 cricket, of course, uh, is in various locations in Australia between October and November. So uh, that's uh, all to play for. Gary Stead has been mixing and mingling along with Gavin Larson. They've been trying to find uh, the right combinations um, getting forward. I think they got a fairly good indicator in those uh, T20s against the West Indies uh, of what our uh, starting side might be in that World Cup. And that, of course, uh, meant Devin Conway at the top of the order uh, with Martin Guptill uh, and then Kane Williamson coming in at three, although they did shuffle. They mixed and mingled a little bit there because they tried to Mitchell Santner to come as a pinch hitter. Don't mind that. You've got that left-hand, right-hand combination if you've got uh, Santner uh, with the ability, and he can hit the ball. Uh, Phillips was uh, very consistent. Looks as if he's uh, developing to that role quite nicely, Glenn Phillips. Uh, and then, uh, of course, you, you've got your Daryl Mitchell, who's uh, a bit of a closer or a fixer if you're in trouble. So uh, there's a nice balance about that, uh, a really nice balance about it. And then you go into your bowling attack where you can be a little bit more flexible in terms of, uh, you know, you've got Santner as a given. Uh, do you go with Sodi? Do you go with Michael Bracewell, who was uh, picked in the last couple of games? Uh, and then you've got your pace battery as well. So it looks a quite a nice balance, a quite a nice balance in, in that regard. Uh, boys, I think, are still trying to get hold of uh, Devin Conway. OK, hopefully he'll be there very, very shortly. Um, and we'll be able to catch up on what's happening uh, in the Caribbean. Uh, right, uh, yes, I can say that. Uh, good morning uh, to you, uh, Devin Conway. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Smithy. How you doing? Yeah, going well, mate. Uh, absolutely brilliantly. Uh, lovely to hear from you. Uh, gee, uh, I, I know you had a bit of uh, chance to recharge your batteries, but it seems like this tour has gone on forever around the world. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a very busy schedule for us. Um, I've luckily had enough time to sort of, you know, recharge my batteries. But uh, 
it's um, been exciting for everyone. You know, as as I said, there's been a lot of cricket for a lot of the guys, so um, it's been it's been on the road for a long time. Okay, so uh, your series, your particular series uh, against the West Indies in this T20 format, which has just uh, finished, of course, pretty consistent. You must be uh, scores of 43, 42, 21, so uh, striking it quite nicely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm pretty happy with how things have gone. Um, would have liked to have sort of contributed more, um, especially in those knocks where I got starts. You know, I got a couple of 40s and 20, as you say. It would have been nice to to have kicked on and got a big one but you know at the end of the day we still won the series so um, we're very happy in the camp all together as a unit. Okay uh, Devin Conway at the top of the order is that what you like? Yeah no, it's been enjoyable I think I was a little bit shocked when I got the um, the question to to all the you know got asked to, to open the batting so um, you know it was a nice surprise um, it's a position for me that I'm familiar with you know playing with Wellington up the order at the top so um yeah, it's been a really good opportunity for me to get up there and um, battle alongside um, Guppy. So it's been good, pretty exciting, and, and very enjoyable. So, w when you walk out to bat, have you got you, along with Martin Guptoy? Do you have uh, fairly much an open mind, or do you have a plan? Do you have do you have numerical targets as such, which you feel as if you've got to get to, or you just quite you just play it by ear, basically? Yeah, basically for us is to try and set the tone as the opening partnership. Um, we know that we have to be try we have to try and be quite aggressive in the first six overs in that power play. Um, we do. Guppy tends to take first ball unless um, they open up with a spinner. If it's turning it into the left-hander, then basically it's my duty then to take first ball. So that's the only sort of thing that might change every now and then. But it's about assessing those conditions quickly and just trying to put the bowling under pressure. We've got small little targets as a batting unit. You know, we want to be on a certain score after the first six and, and so on. And we try and sort of tick off those targets to try and set a, a good total as a team. It's a West Indian side, I, I must confess. Uh, I don't know a heck of a lot about some of these players. Was it the same for you? Had you been familiar with that bowling attack much? Yeah, um, you're right. You know, it's not sort of the, the, the normal bowlers that, we, that we're used to facing. Um, you know, there's no likes of Sheldon Cottrell and a couple of the other guys that have been around for a long time. But... There are a couple of younger guys that are, you know, very skillful bowlers. We certainly had to do our homework, um, you know, when we do our scouting before the series started. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it was it was a little bit tricky trying to negotiate uh, some of the bowling, but um, you know, we sort of got accustomed to what they were doing and um, we adapted accordingly. Okay, uh, the other thing you did, of course, uh, in the series is you took the gloves as well. Did the wicket keeping duties? How'd you find that? I loved it, Smithy. Um, you know, I think I, re I really enjoy the opportunity to get behind the stumps. You know, I think it sort of helps me as a batter as well to sort of be engaged and get a feel for the surface. Even though we batted first in all three games, I feel like mm. as a keeper, it will allow me to, to sort of get used to the surface, even though I haven't batted on it. Um, it gives me that opportunity to do that. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the opportunity. Um, you know, it's a, it's a nice little role for me, and, and hopefully I can continue doing that um, in the future. Oh, it's to the balance of the side. There's no doubt about that, uh, Devin. So, yeah, long may that continue as, as far as uh, I, I'm concerned. Uh, I just um, uh, The batting first uh, option there, is that the preferred way for this side at the moment, or is that conditions-based? I mean, uh, I guess you have to... You have to get into a mode where you know the toss of a coin. You can be doing either batting first or or chasing. So, um, the batting first strategy is that is that the preferred one? 
Um, not necessarily, Smithy. We we actually wanted to, to bowl first in the first game. We had lost the toss and got put into bat. Um, and, and you know, luckily we, we put on a good total in that first game and got the win. And then as we knew that we were going to play on the same surface all three games, we, we certainly felt that that surface was just going to deteriorate with the, the warm weather around. Um, so we, we certainly wanted to... To bat first in the, in game two and game three, just try and make use of those of that of those conditions, and um, hopefully it was just going to deteriorate more um, for for our bowling attack to, to um, take advantage, especially with our spinners in, in the side. So um, yeah, um, it, for us we do we do need to adapt whether we bat first or or bowl first, but um, certainly it was condition based in this series. Glenn Phillips had uh, a pretty good series with the bat. Yeah, no, he was outstanding, you know, I think um, he really does enjoy playing in the Caribbean. Um, you know, he said um, Sabina Park is his second home, I think, out of Auckland. So um, he, he does enjoy his time time here. Um, he's got quite quite a lot of experience here playing in the CPL and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it was really good to see him get, get going. Um, he's obviously a very important player for us, very explosive. And, um, yeah, he's had a great series and hopefully he can take that into the ODI series. Devin, uh, the World Cup, of course, is in Australia, um, and that traditionally over the years has not uh, been a spin bowling paradise as such. But in this series, of course, the spinners were, were very fruitful. The Bracewell, um, Michael Bracewell, Mitchell Santner, uh, Sodi all having a crack. And I, I just wonder where you think the emphasis might be going to Australia. Do you think spin will be a big factor in the T20 World Cup? Um, I think so. You know, um, I've heard that obviously the grounds in Australia are very big, so um, you know that that might create um, hitting boundaries off spin a challenge. Um, you know, and and it was a nice opportunity for us to play three spinners in in the bowling attack. You know, um, it was a great opportunity for Michael Bracewell to get some overs under the belt to see what he can do. Um, but to answer your question, certainly feel like we can use spin in Oz. Um, I know they traditionally more seamer friendly, but you know, the skill that we have and Mitch Sandler and, and, and the experience with Ish Sodi, um, we can certainly use spin to our advantage in Australia, the World Cup, I feel. Okay, we're about to go into 50 over mode, of course, uh, then we've got three of those, and then of course three in Australia coming up in September as well. So uh, we put the T20 uh, options to the side for a little while, but do you have before the World Cup, what is the plan in terms of T20 strategy and T20 practice? Yeah, I think, um, as you say, you know, it's into one-day mode now. Um, so we've got to tick that off and, and make sure that we're performing in that format. But then as we lead into the World Cup and closer to when that starts, it's about making sure that we, you know, knowing our roles really well, practicing our specific roles as best we possibly can and, um, you know, just staying in touch with our T20 skills. I mean, like we saw brilliant shot that Glenn Phillips played yesterday with that scoop, reverse scoop over, over short third man for six. You know, those sort of skills that we've got to try and stay in touch with before the start of the World, the World Cup later this year. So we need to stay in touch with that. Have you been spoken to about your, uh, your role in uh, the 50-over version of the game? For instance, uh, will you be at the top of the order? Will you be wicket-keeping as such? Um, not 100% certain yet. I think tomorrow we've got our first training um, in preparation for the one day. So um, we'll, we'll find out our roles tomorrow as we see what the surface is like and, um, and how that will unfold. So we'll find out tomorrow before the game starts well the following day. How do you go, uh, you know, from an interesting point of view for people listening in, how do you as a batter 
uh, revert from 20, uh, 20 overs to 50 overs. What is your mindset there? I mean, a bad ball's a bad ball, a good ball's a good ball, etc. But what about the, the frenetic nature of how you go about it? Yeah, I think naturally um, when, you, when you change from T20 to one-day cricket, you instantly think there's a lot more time and um, you know, you, you've got more, more balls to face. However, I feel for me personally, it's all about keeping that positive mindset regardless if it's T20 um, or, or a one-day match, you know, I've got to try and make sure that I'm always looking to score because um, personally that allows me to get into better positions and make better decisions as a batter. So, um, yeah, for me, I know I, it, it allows me the opportunity to bat longer, um, but in saying that I still want to keep a positive mindset to make sure I'm putting bowlers under pressure and scoring off bad balls. So that's very important for me as a player. One of the issues uh, that the world cricket is facing at the moment, and we saw this the other day with the announcement from Trent Bolt that he's going to step away from some black caps duties because he wants to focus on time at home, but he also wants to open himself a wee bit more for some of the leagues going on around the world. And we see, um, uh, Devin, the side that you've uh, just played against is uh, quite unfamiliar because a lot of West Indian players do exactly the same thing rather than dedicate themselves to their country full time. So... Do you think that's going to be an ongoing thing as these leagues continue to open up around the world? I think possibly it might it might be become a thing. Um, it might be more popular as we know. Um, you know, as you say, there is a lot of a lot of cricket out there. There's a lot of these leagues. There's a lot of opportunities for guys to play all over the world. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, Smithy, I think guys might might look into that. I'm not sure, you know, how that might happen, but um, it's certainly can be a possibility possibility in the future how are you finding the caribbean is this the first time there for you yeah this is the first time for me here i'm absolutely loving it um it's been it's been very very warm so very different to what i experienced when i left wellington two weeks ago um so yeah been, the people here are awesome you know um they're very passionate about their cricket and stuff um so, yeah, it's just been a really good tour so far. We're really enjoying our time here. And um, we landed in Barbados this morning. So, um, yeah, we've managed to get onto the beach and, and have a good swim this afternoon. So, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoying our time so far. Man, that sounds cool. It takes me back a few times, I'll tell you that. Hey, the other thing um, I've got to just clear up with you, um, All Blacks or Springboks, mate? All Blacks all the way. It was a great win for the boys over the weekend. It was great, great, great to watch. <laughs> okay, you got yourself out of jail there. Well done. Um, hey, and continue to enjoy uh, Bay Badass. Absolutely fantastic place. Um, and uh, enjoy uh, the ground as well. I, I think it's a wonderful stadium. So uh, it's been going good, Devin. It's uh, fantastic. You, you uh, gave us uh, a little bit of your time today, and uh, we look forward to seeing how the form carries on uh, in the Caribbean and uh, also in Australia and Darwin in about uh, three weeks' time. Good luck, mate. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Smitty. Take care. Cheers, Devin Conway there, uh, straight out of Barbados, and yeah, that uh, that is good if you can just uh, imagine it. We're in the height of winter here, or the the depth of winter here, uh, and uh, they get to swim on those golden sandy beaches in the Caribbean, cold Carib as well. At the end of the day, and maybe uh, maybe a bit of uh, rum punch later. Oh goodness me, ah, reminiscing too deeply. It's nine forty-eight. I better shut up. Have uh, come in this morning, uh, Smithy. I wouldn't be at all surprised if New Zealand rugby had Razor and Co across the line in expectation that the All Blacks would lose nil uh, two in South Africa. Now they won the second test. Mark Robertson is stuck. That is uh, from Adam. 
um, Paddy has come in and said, hey, Smithy, totally agree with Izzy's comments around assistant coaches doing a lot of the on-field coaching. But Ian Foster earns around $1 million a year and average Kiwi earns about 60000 a year. The way he's been treated, though, is deplorable, but his results are terrible. It's 9.54 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, our multi for today, uh, the Manchester Originals to beat the Welsh Fire. Now, that is uh, cricket in England. That is the 100 competition uh, that will be played overnight. Uh, this afternoon, the Toronto Blue Jays to beat the Baltimore Orioles at $1.61. That first one, incidentally, $1.69. And uh, the ATP, uh, professional tennis uh, circuit, uh, they're currently in Cincinnati. And Berrettini to beat TFOE at uh, $1.55 this afternoon. Uh, so $4.22 for that multi. Manchester Originals, the Blue Jays into Berrettini, $4.22. Wish uh, us all the best uh, with that one. We're going to open up the lines uh, after the news here and uh, invite your calls on 0800 $50 Chemist Warehouse Voucher up for grabs. Subject of your choice. I'm waiting. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Talkback Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. It is 10.03 here on SENZ. Yes, the lines are open. 0800 150 811. Just reiterating what we're going to do uh, in the rest of the hour as well. We're going to speak to Louis Herman Watt. Uh, we're going to speak to uh, Wes Clark, uh, Black Ferns assistant coach. Of course, been around since uh, I think 2015. Uh, on just where the Black Ferns are at, they've got a big uh, Laurie O'Reilly series coming up against the Australians, home and away. So we'll see uh, how they're trucking along. Bearing in mind the World Cup is not that far away. An update from Wes Clark, and then after 11 o'clock, we shall be going to uh, Ricardo Ball. What is happening at Manchester United? What is happening at Old Trafford? Do we know? Uh, what is happening at NZR headquarters? That might be the, one of the reasons uh, why you want to ring up this morning. Uh, and uh, also uh, you can text us on uh, double three if you like with your greatest West Indian cricketers that you can recall going back. Dean from Dunedin, uh, as always, uh, out of the blocks very quickly this morning. Uh, Dean, good morning to you. You mate, Smithy here getting on. Yeah, not too bad, Dino. Uh, they'll be ru- rustling some papers at NZR headquarters, you reckon? Oh, who would know, mate? That, that's the sad part. Who would know? Like, I'd love a job there to do bugger all. I'm going to be accountable for nothing. and be all right, wouldn't I? On that sort of salary. <laughs> and it's only going to get better with the Silver Lakes money and clubs will get none again. But what I rung, Smithy, was at the end of the day, I think we all sort of feel a little bit of compassion for Forster, but he's on a million bucks and he doesn't, you know, he hasn't performed... And I'll go right back to 2015 when the Highlanders here actually had a very, very good season under two pretty good... Co- a good combination, actually, I'd go as far as to say. I think Jamie Joseph is a proven head coach. You'll bleed for him or you won't play. And Tony Brown is just a fabulous bloke at actually inventing things. But that that year, we had a pretty talented first five in Lima Sapawanga, who they took to that very same ground for a debut threw him out there like a bit of meat to the Lions, and he was outstanding. Like, I'm not saying he got player of the day, because I can't remember. 
But about a week later, they named the World Cup team to go, and they take Colin Slade. So Force has been involved in some dodginess for a long, long time now, and I just think we just need a change just for change's sake, if nothing else, you know? Like, he can't take the credit for that win. Like, he, he selected the forward, the front row to play Ireland that got absolutely decimated. He's still persisting with Rico on the wing, I mean, at centre. And you've seen him stretching out down that sideline and looked absolutely magnificent. Like, is he not watching the same game as us? You know, Rico went all right at centre, but it's still not a... For me, there's other centres that can play there, you know? Like, I don't know. There's just so much of what he's been involved in in the last seven years that I'm just, you know... I don't know. He said he might have lost a bit of weight. And I watched the news last night with uh, Ian Smith there. Well, oh, not Ian Smith, sorry, uh, Wayne Smith. And he's twice the man size-wise as what he was in that interview. So he's obviously had a few free lunches and a million bucks. Well, why wouldn't he put on a bit of beef? But there's more to it than that. And, you know, I don't hire apprentices, Smithy, for the simple fact that I don't want to ring him up and say I've got no work. And I can't be bothered going and finding more work when I'd rather go play golf, go to the TAB or go fishing. So... You've got to make that decision in life. There's, there's more to life than money. You know, I think he accepted a job and the money was great, but really, he's not. He's a nice bloke, and nice blokes, unfortunately, can't make that hard call. When you're christening someone's baby to say, well, actually, I'm not going to pick you anymore because this young fella's come through, and that's what we're lacking. You know, we brought on Colsey and we brought on Taylor as impact players, and they're both terrible. You know, what I'd give to just give half that salary to Forster and he could possibly stay there and give 500000 to Ash Dixon just to play the World Cup so we know when we bring someone on with five minutes to go, ten minutes to go, he's going to nail his line-out jumpers. You know, he's the Dwayne Monkley of yesteryear that should have been an all-black and Colsey's been magnificent, mate, absolutely magnificent. But he's injured all the time and he's never playing. Like, we've got all those guys over there in South Africa that are injured and we still take them. They can't even carry the suitcases in case they hurt something else. I mean, what are we doing? Dixon or Davidson, okay. whatever from Otago. No. So, Dean, Sorry, what, what's the what's the hold up here? What what do you think is going on at the moment? What, what what are they what are they working through? Well, no, I don't think they're working through anything. I think they told him he had to win the first test to give them time to set Razor up to take over, and it's in Christchurch, so it's pretty easy for him. So, the the, the result in. Um, Alice Park, I think, was purely just like the Warriors when they get there up for renew of the contract. The players thought, shit, we better put something in here, otherwise they could all be looking for a new job. You know, I don't know that... It, I don't know. None of us know. But Scott Robinson probably isn't going to be allowed to pick all his players that he wants. But right now, he'll take the job, work with what he's got, and then as soon as he's allowed to pick the guys he wants, he's not going to turn it down just because he's got cattle there he doesn't want. Ryan's already done the business. We're no longer getting rolling more scored against us. So he's just told them, get your head in there, do the hard yards, you know. So I don't know what the hold-up is. I've I, I got no I think probably a lot of it is to do with this is history. But how much more history does Forster want to make? Honestly, if he stays there, Scotland are rubbing their hands together. That's how I see well, it. Well, yeah, I... No, I I get where you're coming from, uh, Dean. I, you know, I know you know you've been consistent with your views the whole way through, and uh, maybe we'll get some we'll get some answers uh, in in the next 24 hours or so. Because uh, as you quite rightly point out, the Test match against uh, Argentina is is not too far away. Thanks very much uh, for your call this morning. Um, so uh, yeah, we've got a number of texts in as well, and you can call up on that as well if you like. As 
is uh, about uh, the West Indies, uh, the top four West Indians in your mind, even if you've just got one that sticks out in your mind. Give us a call on 0800 150 811. Uh, Joe from Gazi. G'day, Joe. Nice to talk to you again. Hey, yes, Smithy. Well, it's a beautiful day up here in Gizzy as usual. Mate, uh, best West Indians I've seen to Garfield Sobers. Uh, yep. Brian Lara. Yep. Uh, Joel Garner. Right, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a few who have come to the fourth side there, but um, those three there, stunning, stunning uh, cricket players who would stand out in any team, stand out in history. Uh, the, the way they played, the way they led. And, and what they actually did, you know, when Joel Garner came to New Zealand, uh, Whispering Death is another one, to Michael Holding. You know, th- those gentlemen were just quick, and they were... Uh, they weren't the players who needed to slag players off, you know? They spoke with their cricket. And I think you'll find that uh, when you go back in history, those players set the platform in each era for for those young players coming through. Now, Chris Gale is a little bit different. You know, a wonderful, you know, the, the boss of the boss of cricket. But not, not the class of Lara and definitely not the class of Sigarfield Sobers. Um, and Michael Holding is probably that class in the bowling that players aspire to in the West Indies. But lucky enough to see a few of them live and uh, oh, the class of Lara, the timing. Um, I saw him at Lords playing England and uh, he scored a, he scored 160 there. And, and it was just pure timing and it was so easy, Smithy. It's like he had all day. And you look through history at players from other teams. You know, they just just they didn't have the time that he had. You know, even the even the good Australians. You know, the Kane Williamsons. You know, they probably were half a second behind the time that he had to sit there, look at the ball, and decide what he was going to do. And it was just... Amazing, yeah, amazing uh, yeah, yeah. recollections there, Joey. I, I totally get where you're coming from, too, uh, in terms I never... I think I saw Sobers um, once or twice at the Basin Reserve. Um, I've heard so many stories about Garfield Sobers over the years. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, and, and those names you mentioned are all worthy of consideration in anyone's top group, uh, Joey, and I appreciate your call for that. What we'll remember uh, uh, Chris Gale for, though, uh, Joe, is uh, the fact that I, I believe that he has been the guy that has sort of set the benchmark to bring West Indies cricket down a wee bit. And why I say that is because he's led the charge into the into the uh, T20 leagues around the world. He's the one that uh, who initially stood aside and said, look, I can make more money playing around the world than I can playing for the West Indies, and this is the direction I want to go in. And a lot of other players from that point onwards, have done exactly the same thing. 
Um, so he, he will be remembered as a brilliant player, Chris Gale, but I think as the forerunner that maybe dragged a lot of it, dragged a lot of it down. Uh, who are we going to now? Cliff, is it Cliff from Dunedin? Yeah, g'day Cliff, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Smitty. Yeah, you're right about Chris Gale. He was the first guy that... He had the money, but the problem with West Indian cricket is they don't have enough money to keep their players in the squads throughout the year. They get strong pre-World Cup one day or 2020. Guys will come back into the squad, make themselves available, and then most of the year they go and play another league. So they tend to be a bit of a no-name side. They had some classy players coming through, you know, guys like Carl Hooper and them, but my my greatest player of the West Indies is Malcolm Marshall. That guy had a better bowling average than Richard Hadley. If I had to pick a best team from since 1980 and I'd have an opening bowling attack, he'd be opening the bowling with, with, with Richard Hadley. He's just a dynamite on any surface. And I remember that day he, he played with a broken arm. His arm was pinned. He'd come out and batted for quite a while and he played some great shots. You know, he was a goat, a goat to me. You know, he was quick, he was dangerous. He he, he came at you from, you would you'd know what it was like. He, I think he broke um, Jeremy Cody's arm. Was it him or was it Patterson that got uh, Jerry? Uh, it was uh, actually Joel, Joel Garner got him. Joel Garner got oh, him a, Joel, uh, in, a, in a bad mood at uh, Sabina Park in Jamaica and uh, he broke his arm almost clean in half, really. Went through both bones. So, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Uh, he was... Uh, Pretty devastating when they, and that was the thing about them too uh, that that I can recall. Cliff is is when they just got in a mood or they got in a zone, and from one day to the next they could ramp it up ten, twenty k's. It seemed they didn't time uh, cricket balls back in those days as, as much as they do now. Uh, it was just either regarded as being fast or not fast. <laughs> so well, remember, uh, it was remember, yeah. Remember Dean Jones uh, wanted uh, Kirtley Ambrose to take that. Armband off his arm, and, and said to That's him because right. he reckoned it was, and and they reckon Kirtley Ambrose bowled probably a two yards or three yards faster, and he was, and, and the rest of the team said, why did you do that? We had to go out and face him because he he was I think he got six or something for about twelve that day. It was ridiculous. He he just he just become an evil man. <laughs> <laughs> West Indian cricket, it's a real shame, you know, that they, they're not they're what they were. But a bit, bit of the rugby, Mark Robinson, oh gosh, the board must be wondering whether they've got to hand him over soon too. He's he's really handling this just so bad, and, and it's really sad that, you know, that Fozzie's, he's, he's, he's probably playing along with them, hoping that they, they might let him go to the World Cup if, if they don't, haven't offered it to Raze yet, and Raze hasn't come out and said, I'll have it. Well, then I think that Fozzie's going to hang around, and, and that's probably the best thing. It, it's a poison chalice for anyone else to, to throw themselves into it because they don't know how long they're going to get it for. If they don't win every game, they're under pressure as soon as they lose one. So I think we just got to put up with Fozzie. Hopefully he'll just pick the best side. He'll stick with them and work away with them with what, what, what we've got. And, you know... There's, there's guys, but I would have said that uh, that two of us are Sheck. I don't know why he's in the side. I think it was New Zealand Rugby probably told him we've paid this guy big money to to come to us. You've got to put him in the squad. But that's about it, really. He's, he hasn't had enough rugby to be, be an all-black yet. Mm. That's uh, me Cliffy, today. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate what you're saying. I agree 
totally um, on the Roger Tuavasa Sheck issue as well. I think he might have just been forced on uh, Ian Foster uh, a little bit prematurely uh, for Ian Foster's liking as well. And, uh, you know, he was put in the group and uh, he's been given every chance. But uh, according to the, uh, the selectors at this point, he's not quite ready to make the grade when it comes to the important matches. Um, yes, and look, if it is to be Ian Foster to carry on and uh, we see more performances like we did the other night, um, or more power to him in, in that regard. But let's make a decision and let's end the speculation. Let's make that decision and let's get on for whoever's coming in or for whoever's going out so there's a point of, of uh, definity about the whole thing. And, and the speculation goes out the window because when you speculate, that's when the dangerous things start to be said. Joey from Auckland. G'day, Joey. How are you? Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Um, look, Joel Garner, a fantastic bowler. You saw him too. Colin Croft. Um, but but uh, and Brian Lara was a great batsman. But the great Vivian Richards, you know, Smithy, you've been on behind the stumps watching Vivian Richards. I mean, they're a pitamal to like the likes of Martin Crowe in New Zealand. Just unbelievable batsman, and and just with the uh, the New Zealand uh, rugby, has has um, Foster done us a favour in the sense that that what's happened now we're we're trying to fix our our mistakes, which which you know if, if we'd gone down six months eight months down the track and had this problem, we'd be in you know in a in a bigger worse situation, you know, and and I think Smithy too, um, I think they've they've told told. Um, Robertson that he's got the job before the, this test had, had been played. And and for Mark Robinson to me, as a CEO, to come out on a Zoom call, if you're a CEO, shouldn't you front the, the, the media, uh, in, even if it's in South Africa, uh, front the media at a press conference? Not on a Zoom call. That's poor. I think it's very poor, Smithy. And, I, and, mm. I, and the last thing, too, to say about the cricket, I think we've got a great, great setup with our black caps. Um, you know, with Beesham and, and um, Mitchell in the middle, you know, two two all round us. That you know, uh, and and also too, you've got uh, Sadner as well. Um, I think we're very strong. I, I totally agree, uh, Joey. I think we're a real chance. I mean, we got beaten in the final by Australia last time round, but that is a side that can beat anyone on any given day, with the exception. And I, I have to be convinced that they can beat Australia in Australia. Uh, that's uh, Joey is the only one that worries me in terms of the West Indies. Yeah, uh, I can uh, I can vouch for the fact that uh, Viv Richards was an imposing player. He was so imposing when he came to the crease that you you actually lost focus on, at times on what you're supposed to do yourself, um, and that's because he was just so awe inspiring. He would come out, he would have the the Rastafarian armbands on, wristbands on. Uh, he'd have uh, he never wore a helmet against anyone he never wore a helmet and then he would just wear his cap slightly off to one side and he would always uh, have that bead of sweat coming out particularly in the in the Caribbean and the warmer climates and his presence at the crease his presence and the steely uh, looks that he would give you um, they called him Smoking Joe uh, he got a, he had a number of nicknames but Smoking Joe was one of them uh, after Joe Frazier uh, he, he just had that combative edge about him and uh, he's one of those uh, cricketers that actually demanded demanded that you look at him and watch what he was doing. So uh, Marshall was very, very fast on his day. He was uh, slippery fast because he was only a small man, Malcolm Marshall. He wasn't a tall giant quick like uh, the likes of Joel Garner and Holding and Croft and, uh, and, and Walsh and Ambrose. Uh, Stature-wise, he was uh, probably around about uh, five foot nine. 
five foot ten, um, which meant his bounces, etc., came at to you from an awkward height, uh, almost skiddy, slippery, as as opposed to uh, those big bounces that went straight over the top of your head and you can get under. He was a difficult bowler to evade, Malcolm Marshall. That's what made him so uh, penetrating. Um, and yes, uh, a fine, absolutely a fine, a fine bowler, and very, very combative bowler as well. Wayne, g'day, Wayne from Auckland. Uh, morning to you. Hey, good morning, Smitty. Thanks for taking the call. Look, just a few comments about the All Blacks. Uh, I was uh, first five back in the Eden days and marked people like Curtin and Duncan Robertson and Jeffrey. And uh, I've actually got a son who played first five for the All Blacks as well. So I know a bit about it. And uh, I'm just amazed that Foster hasn't been able to see how much better Moanga is and how poor Bowden Barrett is in the first five eight role. And I think if you look back, Foster's biggest problem is selection. He's probably a reasonably good coach, and I'm sure he's a good guy, but his selections have been abysmal right from the start. I remember the great Carlin Jones once said, when questioned about coaching, hey, get the selections right and you're 90% of the way there, and I think that's been a lot of problems. We're still playing best quarterback in the world on the wing. We've got a winner playing centre. Uh, we've wasted Moana. Uh, we've got the best number seven playing number eight. and you know, It just goes on and on. Uh, at last he saw that the props he'd been sticking with were just not hard enough mentally or physically and those changes certainly worked, didn't they? But you know, to say that Foster had a big influence on this win, no. I, Moana had the biggest influence for me. He ran the game Sure, the forwards went a bit better, but it was Moanga. That was the difference for me. Anyway, they're my views. Wayne, uh, very interested to, to hear from you. And, uh, you know, quite clearly you've got a very uh, serious background in the game. And uh, so I respect that. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think there was one or two performances, Moanga included, which were overlooked because the bigger issue is not around the, uh, being on the field. The bigger issue, it seems, is, uh, is off the field, Wayne. Um, and I, I find that um, I find that a little bit upsetting when you can put together a performance like that and the individuals involved, as you say, get very little, little credit for it. Mm, thank you very much, uh, Wayne. Thank you to all our callers this morning. Interesting talking about uh, the West Indies and, of course, the coaching uh, saga, as uh, it'll go down as. Uh, 10.24 here on SENZ. Take a break. Be back shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, it is uh, coming up to the news with uh, Haraha. We will be talking to uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, very shortly and then uh, Wes Clark, who is the assistant coach for the Black Ferns. have uh, got the, the Laurie O'Reilly Trophy coming up against Australia starting this weekend in Christchurch. Then the following weekend they play at the beautiful Adelaide Oval as well. So that'll be a treat for them. Uh, but just where are the Black Ferns at now? Uh, we know this time last year um, things weren't trucking that, uh, along that well and then, of course, they went to the UK and uh, we found out that uh, they had issues to sort through. They've come back, changed the coach, put on a whole new structure around them with new principles, etc. Uh, and they've been unbeaten since. So uh, it looks like they may well be on track. Uh, but have they closed the gap on England and France? Um, we probably have to wait till the World Cup to find that out. But uh, how are they trucking along? Wes Clark will be with us very shortly. And then after uh, 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to uh, our very own Ricardo Ball, our football pundit, uh, because Manchester United, his team seem to be in a hell of a mess, a hell of a mess, 0-2, exactly at the bottom of the table. Um, OK, only two games gone, 
but uh, not going good. And a thump, thumping from Brentford at the weekend, 4 0 down at half time. Could you believe that? Where's Ronaldo fit in all this? It's a mess at Manchester United. 10.31, here's Haroa. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Hello, everyone. What joins us at a slightly earlier time today? Uh, no racing uh, in New Zealand today in terms of a tote meeting, but uh, I think there's trials today at Avondale, Louis. Yes, Smithy, and the trials, ooh, baby. we got the nice ones back at the races, mate, including Catalyst, who has just had so many issues since he won the 2000 Guineas all those years ago. He's a six-year-old gelding now, can you believe it or not? We pretty much haven't seen him at the races for two full calendar years, but he trialled up a treat at Tarapa, and Tony Pike, he's a master trainer, and he's using all of his nows to make sure he looks after Catalyst, so... That's in the open catchweight 1,000 metres, trial number 12 today at about 18 minutes to 1 o'clock. Also in that trial, Miss Cartier uh, outfit, Madame Moet. So a couple of nice ones. As I go down the, the rest of the trialists, well, we've got, speaking of nice ones, um, some lovely fillies lining up in trial number 13. Carmen Line for the Wexford boys. Uh, Maven Bell, yes. Group 1 winner, I Choose You, uh, an outstanding two-year-old year. GC, Miss Ella for Stephen Marsh. Again, Field of Gold for Tony Pike. Um, into trial number 15, we've got Dynastic, the Caracamillion winner, trialling up against Nalvala, Starry Bill, uh, La Bella Beals, and Rosen Power. And there's just a plethora of them. You can go down, so you can park yourself on the Love Racing website today, loveracing.nz, and once those trials go, click on the horses' names and, and watch them back. I know that's what I'll be doing. I think we're going to find some really nice, promising types throughout the spring from this meet today at Avondale. Louis, has there been any definitive test? I know we've got uh, Cambridge uh, Synthetic again tomorrow, and uh, there's been more and more synthetic racing uh, throughout winter, which is necessary because of the state of the tracks, uh, the grass tracks, etc., but... Has there any, been any test done, or is it a, just an individual um, horse thing there in terms of racing on synthetic and then going back to grass? Do we, do we know much about that in terms of preparation? Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's an interesting one. Um, oh, I really, look, without, without knowing the science of it and then without being a horse trainer myself, I think from what I gather, some horses just take it different than others. And it's just like human beings where some people I know can um, enjoy trail running and don't mind running on softer surfaces. Personally, I need a track or I need a, a pavement like to feel that bounce and to feel comfortable running. I don't like running on grass. And I, I do think it's similar. Um, I, don't, I think some horses have different suspensionary issues. Some, some horses get quite knee. Some horses get quite shinny. And that bounce off the synthetic isn't always good for them. And they need the turf to really brace them and to be able to get their toe into it. But then you see a lot of good horses have to perform on good tracks through summer anyway, mate. So to be honest, those hard summer good threes, um, yeah, they're pretty tough to, to fly on. And, and that's why some of those horses that have those issues are, are more kind of autumn horses where the tracks start to soften up a little bit. So I really do think it's, well, I'm going to say it, aren't I? Horses for courses. Horses for courses uh, from uh, Louis Herman Watt, who will be studying the trials today. We might get uh, something for, out of him uh, tomorrow in terms of what he has noticed. Enjoy the rest of your day. Louis will be back shortly um, with Wes Clark out of the Black Ferns.
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, a uh, number of texts have come in, just uh, waiting for the Black Ferns to finish their gym session. So uh, we're waiting for uh, Wes Clark because of that. So, um, hi Smithy, West Indian great players, Sir Vivian Richards, Malcolm Marshall. It must have been amazing, Smithy, facing those bowlers. Who was the quickest you faced? Well, um, as uh, I sort of talked about a wee bit before, Anthony, it was his case almost on a daily basis. Uh, just the, the guy that was in the mood or the guy that was... Um, because Joel Garner, from time to time, was... Uh, you know, day in day out of the four of them that used to pepper at you, probably the slowest in terms of um, uh, actual pace. But uh, what he did have was that amazing height, so he could make the ball bounce. Um, you know, from varying degrees of uh, of length of, of of the pitch, so he would make it very very hard. So you you wouldn't find yourself pushing forward very often to Joel Garner because even uh, relatively full deliveries would bounce from that height and hit the top part of the bat, which made it very awkward. So you didn't. You don't actually drive, get on the front foot and drive very often against those guys. You're probably sort of hovering on the back foot, just uh, but waiting. Um, and then the one day I, I saw Joel Garner get really mean, um, Richard Hadley uh, gave him a bit of a going over with some bounces himself uh, at Sabina Park in Jamaica and uh, roughed him up a wee bit. Didn't like it, got angry, got uh, very, very quick. And as a result, bowled uh, one of the most devastating spells uh, just prior to uh, the close of play, uh, where he broke Jeremy Coney's arm, as I was just talking about, and hit Ken Rutherford flush in the face first ball. And for those of us uh, sitting waiting to bat, it was not a very pleasant experience sitting and waiting, but thank God uh, for, I think, Jeff Crow and Ken Rutherford. They got through to stumps, and uh, it wasn't such a bad thing the next day, uh, although yours truly didn't last very long. But it, it was a very, very quick uh, period of, uh, of fast bowling backed up at the other end by uh, Holding and, uh, and Marshall and Co so uh, that was quite uh, quite daunting um, but um, Ian has come in and said my top four Windies players of all time, Ambrose Lara, Richards and Walsh of course uh, Kirtley Ambrose, what a bowler he was devastating bowler uh, also a mood bowler uh, Courtney Walsh, uh, his longevity in the game as well as uh, being a terrific captain of the West Indies, outstanding absolutely outstanding player and Brian Lara and Viv Richards, well, undisputed, aren't they? Uh, Morning, Smithy. I think uh, that what that performance has done, we're talking about the All Blacks here, has uh, removed some of the criticism, noise and focus away from the team and placed firmly on NZRU. I haven't been a supporter of Foster, but the NZRU have absolutely butchered this, and Fozzie may have grounds for a PG claim uh, after all of this. Just hope he has great support network around him because this could get messier and will literally be quite uh, painful. Um, Paddy goes on to say almost a life and death situation. We don't uh, want to speculate about that because I'm not sure that that would be the case, but it certainly um, will be taking its toll. It, it has to. Human nature says it will be taking its toll. Uh, Jim from Tamuka Smithy, the Heartland Champions South Canterbury start their competition this week. Any preview show planned? Well, we were just talking about actually. Uh, talking about uh, some Heartland teams. There's a game playing uh, in Palmerston North on Sunday evening, of all places. Uh, and it is a game between Wairapa Bush and North Otago. So there you go. Might uh, get hold of someone. Anyway, Jim, from the Heartland competition, uh, if we possibly can. Um, Ian Kirkpatrick was the All Blacks captain in 72-73, including the last long tour of the UK. But in 74, he was replaced as captain by Andy Leslie. 
uh, but retained his place in the team and played great rugby on that tour of Australia. Uh, do you read in anything into, Pete says, anything into Sam Whitelock standing up and backing Foster over presumably his Crusaders coach? Uh, Pete, um, just speculating. Um, they may have noticed, the players may have noticed the, that the, their coach is under pressure. Uh, it's everyone in the world of rugby knows he's under pressure. But they may well have been uh, just looking at, uh, you know, his, his body language and, and saying, look, you know, we need, to, we need to get in behind him here a wee bit more because uh, you can see there's been a concerted effort from two or three very senior players to do just that. It is 10.46 here on SENZ. I think we'll pop across to the TAB now uh, and catch up with uh, BP. Uh, good morning to you, mate. They're a pretty quiet day on the racing front. What about the sporting front? Yeah, hey, Smithy, yeah, we've got a, a couple of um, bets rolling in through on the, on the Major League Baseball, which we, we saw often get on a on a quiet day like we have today. And, and so far uh, in the uh, the Cleveland-Detroit match, we've seen uh, good money uh, on the uh, over run line here of over eight and a half. Uh, and also in the Philly match, uh, we've seen uh, two and a half thousand on over nine runs uh, in that match. Uh, so that, 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 that are a couple of big bets that have come through for this afternoon. I'll look ahead towards the rugby, uh, and already we've got some money trickling through on the MPC. Now, of course, we do have a match uh, to look forward to, which is uh, tomorrow. Uh, we'll quickly touch on the odds there. Otago, $1.92. Hawks Bay, uh, $1.95. Uh, a number of changes to the Hawks Bay squad there. And that does mean we've seen some money uh, towards Otago uh, in that line, and also in terms of winning team and margin. Uh, and that point starts very tight at the moment. Uh, it, it's, it's actually uh, 0.5 currently. So uh, look to maybe some alternative lines if you wanted to play uh, any of the teams there. But we've seen a multi come through around Counties Monaco at plus 7.5 and, and Taranaki plus 18.5, North Harbour at plus 3.5, and, and the total points in the Otago Hawks Bay match to be under 58.5 for $400 is to return $4,500. And just quickly, uh, money for the Rabbitohs at $1.72. And the Warriors, the Warriors play the Cowboys, and already we've seen a lot of money for the Warriors off the back of their good win against the Bulldogs. They're currently at a quote of 690. And if you want to have a punt today on the Addington Greyhounds, Homebush Lear in race number 10 has taken the most support at a quote of $3.50. Good on you, Pops. Thanks very much, as always, uh, for your time this morning. It is uh, 10.48 here on SENZ. Back shortly. Interesting, uh, some news coming in from uh, around the world. Incidentally, we're uh, still waiting for uh, Wes Clark, but it doesn't appear we're going to have uh, enough time to get him before 11 o'clock, so we'll just uh, play that one uh, by ear, as uh, it uh, tends to uh, happen on live radio from time to time. Uh, but this bizarre situation where the Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel and his uh, Tottenham Hotspur counterpart Antonio Conte have been charged by the Football Association following their confrontation and if you saw it after yesterday's uh, heated Premier League draw at Stamford Bridge, they shook hands after the two-all draw. The tempers flared and then they faced off on the pitch before being separated by players and staff from both teams. Well, both managers were actually handed uh, red cards by referee Anthony Taylor as a result of the fracas, or the fracas. Uh, the FA is also investigating Tuchel's comments uh, after the German coach slammed Taylor for his decisions. Tuchel accused Taylor and the video assistant referee of making Wrong decisions, which ultimately helped Spurs come away from Stamford Bridge with a point. Uh, at his post-match conference, Tuchel rude the huge misinterpretation of situations, said it would be better 
if Taylor was no longer involved in officiating Chelsea's matches. And an online petition calling for Taylor not to be handed Chelsea games in the future was launched by fans shortly afterwards. They were angry as well. It's already received more than 122,000 signatures. Absolutely crazy stuff. Uh, just picking and choosing your referees these days. Uh, All Blacks uh, also have rised, uh, have a, a, a rise in the rankings. Yes, they do. Uh, they've climbed one spot to fourth, uh, while the Wallabies dropped to a seventh after that pasting there. They got at the hands of Argentina, 48-17 at the weekend. So Dave Rennie, I think uh, we've got problems over here. I wouldn't imagine they're talking too fondly about what's going on in Australian rugby circles either. Right, let's uh, look at uh, some more of your texts. Uh, hi, Smithy, I remember watching Serviv cover driving Danny Morrison onto the Eden Park number four stand versus Auckland game in the 80s. Amazing, and that was with those old bats. Uh, that's from Anthony. Yeah, he was uh, some player, all right. He saw the back of Viv Richards uh, pretty quickly in an, any individual winnings. Uh, you were pretty darn happy. Uh, Marina uh, Smithy Dean is a messenger of doom and gloom, uh, Foster. So what if he's on a million bucks? If you if you can believe Dean's assumptions, of course, there are a lot of current shortfalls in our All Black setup. I'm not a Foster fan. Maybe it's uh, off. obvious we need a change of coach, but to blame past selectors and coaches for the current woes, current woes well, let's uh, the process proceed positively and get on board. My four best West Indian cricketers, uh, says on a... Viv Richards, Kirtley Ambrose, Michael Holding, and Clive Lloyd. Now, this is uh, an interesting one. Um, and uh, Hone's a bit fired up this morning, actually, by the by. Uh, Clive Lloyd's an interesting one. Fantastic cricketer. Um, renowned as one of the great captains of all time, but he had some artillery to work with. Uh, I think it's fair to say, but didn't cover himself with glory when the West Indies came here in 79. Um, and that was uh, the tour which involved, of course, uh, the shoulder barging of Fred Goodall. Clive Lloyd did absolutely nothing about it, staged a, a lock-in in the dressing room. Uh, they had to be convinced to come out and, and basically beg to come out and resume the game. Um, Clive Lloyd was at the centre of all that, so he lost a few points for me um, when, when he wasn't uh, in control of that situation. Uh, another text has come in and said uh, we were talking about uh, Moanga having a great game. Um, was not, uh, Moanga was not that great he, he turned the ball over as, and they scored a try from it Everyone is praising him but he was only good at times Because the forward pack gave him the chance um, to. But uh, they didn't for Barrett And Richie is no good when he's going backwards Like Barrett was trying his best with crap ball uh, How good would uh, Bo- Barrett, uh, Bowden Barrett have been with good ball Just look at Super Rugby Played outstanding through the part from the final when the Blues forwards were shell-shocked and never turned up. That's uh, carry from Wanganui. Uh, Ken has come in and said, uh, Smithy, my four, Brian Lara, Viv Richards, Malcolm Marshall and Joel Garner. That is uh, from Ken. Yep, those quick bowlers are going to pop up a lot. Lara, Richards, Sobers and Walsh are uh, my four, says uh, Simon. Brian Lara says Terry is up there as one of the best in addition to Viv Richards, Joel Garner and Michael Holding. The list can go on and end, absolutely can. Uh, Smithy, top four West Indians, Sir Garfield, Sobers, Sir Vivian Richards, Malcolm Marshall and Clive Lloyd as captain. That's from Stephen. Uh, morning Smithy says, Kyle, my favourite Wendy's players, Lara, Walsh, Viv and Chanderpaul. Shivnarayan Chanderpaul who had a phenomenal record for the West Indies. Um, and of course uh, he had longevity as well played a lot of test matches he was a superb player with the most unusual set up stance which you wouldn't want your kids to have um, and you couldn't coach 
but it was unique to uh, Shivnarai Chandapur, and had, he had the b- ability to bat for long periods of time. His periods of concentration, his powers of concentration, absolutely superb. Um, can I uh, pass on to Dino? It's Foster, not Forster. Foster, not Forster. I think Dean's pretty aware of that. Um, uh, thanks very much for your text, though. Um, <laughs> he's getting a bit of reaction this morning, old, old Dino, and uh, of course uh, he uh, he leaves himself open for it, but he doesn't mind it either. Uh, Greenwich Haynes, Lara Marshall, Greenwich and Haynes probably. If you look back in history, one of the greatest opening combinations of all time: uh, Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes. One very punishing. Uh, the other, the other, uh, more practical. Uh, Great guy, Desmond Haynes, phenomenal guy, had the best job in the world. He fielded at short leg for the West Indies when all the quick bowlers were going, and he used to laugh. He absolutely used to laugh. 10.59 here, coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ. We'll have Ricardo Ball, that's for definite, after the 11 o'clock news. In the meantime, here's Araha with her update. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Eleven oh three here on SENZ, and don't forget, uh, at around about eleven twenty nine, we'll be asking for you to call in at 0800 uh, and you can have a crack at two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, two hundred and fifty bucks from the TAB this morning. So that's uh, at around eleven thirty. We'll be asking for calls there. About 11.43, we'll do our Mount Rushmore, uh, Logan and myself, on the West Indies cricket greats that we can remember. Uh, But in the meantime, it's time to talk uh, the beautiful game, or is it the beautiful game? Two weeks into the new English Premier League season, and Manchester United fans could be forgiven for wanting to hit the panic button already after losing 2-0 to Brighton in their opener, followed by 4-0 to Brentford on Sunday, 4-0 down in the first half. Elsewhere in the world of football, New Zealand's under-20 women's team are competing in the World Cup, went down 3-0 to Germany. So there's plenty going on in the beautiful game for Kiwi fans, unless, I think, if you're a devout Manchester United fan, uh, like uh, our guest is uh, Ricardo Ball, who is uh, always available to us, which is fantastic. Uh, Ricardo, what the hell's going on? What is going on at Manchester United? That that is the ultimate question, Smithy, the ultimate question. Apparently, the latest is that the senior playing group have sent an SOS to the board to tell them to pull their finger and sign more players. Um, they had five senior players leave uh, from last season, and uh, they haven't really replaced them. You know, I mean, there, there were lots of play, uh, you know, if you looked at when United needs, needed strengthening, it, it was midfield and it was up front. And what have we done? We've signed another left back, we've signed another centre back, and we've signed Christian Eriksen for midfield. So really haven't strengthened where they needed to strengthen. Obviously, Ten Hag uh, wanted another option left back, which is why they went there. There's a guy, uh, Lisandro Martinez, who they've signed from Ajax as a centre-back who's someone he's worked with that he obviously wanted in the team. So they've gone and got those players. But they've not spent the money you expected them to, to spend. And they haven't strengthened where the team needs to be strengthened. I mean, Edinson Cavani left, you know, he was the number nine uh, when Ronaldo wasn't around, he left. They knew he was leaving. They left. They knew in January, and they don't. They haven't had an answer. They haven't signed anyone. And it, you know, the real concerning thing for me, Smithy, is it seems like there's a really real lack of a transfer plan or direction. And by, by that, I mean there was a link about a week ago for Manchester United to sign the guy Marco Anatovic, who's an Austrian international. He's playing in Italy at the moment. He's previously played for West Ham, but he's 33. 
and United, United made a bid for him, and it was all over the papers that United wanted him in. Now, do I think he's the right man for the job? Not really. But then they obviously, you would expect the club to have a plan. And, you know, if they said, look, we think this guy's going to do a job, he's worked on Ten Hag before, they know each other, he can be the third choice, number nine, he gives us some options across the front. Um, you know, he he's a short term. He's he's here for short term uh, and to fix a, a depth issue. Then you go, okay, that's fine. So what happens? Well, there's fan outrage because the fans don't understand why this signing's being made, and the club all of a sudden go, oh, okay, you don't want him, so we're not going to sign him. And that for me is even more concerning. I mean, um, if you've got a plan, you stick to your plan. You don't put it out there and then see what the fans think. And if the fans react badly, then you go in a different direction. It's a, it's a complete schmozzle at the moment. So who owns the club and have they got the money that, that you, you think they need to spend? Well, yeah, that, that is uh, the million-dollar question as well, Smithy. I mean, the Glazers own the club, and they have never put any of their own money into the club. Uh, you know, they've owned it for 10 years. They did something that had never been done before in English football, and that is they effectively mortgaged the club. So they bought the club, and then the debt that uh, they had incurred, they, they put on the club. So they, they're debt-free. But you have this club that has always been debt-free and makes millions and millions of dollars or millions of pounds, and they, lumble, uh, late, they, they lumped all the debt onto the club. So the club all of a sudden is having to service £700 million worth of debt um, for, for them to be able to buy it. So they've never put any money into it. The club has just survived on the money it's made that they haven't pulled out in dividends. And over 10 years, they've pulled £1.5 billion uh, pounds in, in dividends out of the club. So uh, they've not spent on infrastructure. The, the stadium, Old Trafford, needs a lot of work. It's an, it's an old stadium now. It's starting to, to feel old, to look old. Um, they've had problems with the roofs leaking and all sorts of things. Uh, they need a new training facility. They, they haven't got any money into anything. They're just sitting in Tampa, uh, taking money out when they can. I mean, they took $24 million out uh, this month in dividends when you're in the middle of a transfer window and the club needs strengthening. And they're, you know, there, there was a story going around uh, about a striker that they were trying to sign and they were quibbling on the price over, a, uh, I think it was about a $10 million Ten million difference between the selling club and the, and United, what they were willing to spend, and they end up not doing the deal. But they've just pulled twenty four million out of the club in dividends for themselves. So I think you can see where their priority is, and it's not the football club. Okay, so um, let's look at uh, the players they have at the moment. They're still talent wise better than bottom of the table, aren't they? They're better than losing to Brighton and honestly being four 0 down at half half time to Brentford. So what is happening within the the group that they've got? There's a few things going on. One, they've obviously got a new manager in Eric Ten Hag, and he's trying to change the way they play. He wants them to play a different style, uh, and he's trying to implement that. And I don't think that maybe some of the players that are there, while they're very good players, are the players that he needs to do that. And, you know, you could start by looking at the Brentford game, uh, the first two goals. One was a mistake by David De Gea. He should never have made it. Uh, ball went under him. It was an easy shot to save. But I think he had already saved the ball, and punted it upfield, you know, in his head before he actually done the, done the work. It goes under him, 1-0 down. Then he plays a, a short ball to Christian Eriksen, who gets mugged on the edge of the area, and it's 2-0. And that's part of the issue that they have as well is Eric Ten Hag, a big part of what he wants to do is he wants the, the team to play out from the back and to continue to dominate position rather than lump the ball upfield like you, you would have done in the past. So play it out, hold the position, hold the position, and build phases uh, that way. 
but De Gea has never been a player who's been overly confident with the ball at his feet. Uh, you know, you compare him to, say, uh, Edison at Manchester City. He was, you know, when Pep Guardiola took over, one of the first things he did was get rid of Joe Hart because he wasn't good enough with the ball at his feet. Uh, Allison at Liverpool is another one. Ramsdale at, at Arsenal uh, was bought for the same reason. Uh, they were there to supersede keepers who weren't good, uh, weren't good enough with the ball at their feet. Now, if you look at last season, the passing percentages, you know, passing accuracy, completed passes. Edison, Allison are making about 88, 85% roughly around there uh, of the passes they make are completed, in ter- which means they get to the player they're intended for who controls it. David De Gea is at about 69. So there's a you know about a 20% difference there. Um, and so I think that is the issue. I also think, you know, that Harry um, Maguire, who's a previously been England captain, was one of England's best players at the last World Cup. He's lost his confidence. Um, he gets turned too easily. He's a little bit slow. He's an old-school sort of English centre-back who's good with his head, uh, but he's getting found out, and, and I, I just I just think it's a confidence issue as well. And then the other issue that they have is Cristiano Ronaldo, which is you know an interesting conversation to have. Um, if you go back to when he arrived at the club, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was still in charge. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the season before he arrived, had led United to second in the Premier League and to the final of the Europa League. He had brought in Rafael Varane and Jadon Sancho, two players he wanted. He, he, he had identified he wanted a, a more cultured centre-back who can play the ball out of it like a Rio Ferdinand. He wanted a, a right winger, which is what he had in Sancho. And the way that he had United playing, those players suited. The club then went and brought Cristiano Ronaldo and gave him to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He didn't want him. Um, and he had to try and change the way he played to fit Ronaldo in, and he couldn't drop him, and that ultimately led to Ollie's demise. And I think Ten Hag's having the same problems. Um, you know, I was watching uh, a show uh, just this weekend, actually, with a couple of former players, and the same thing with Ronaldo is he's such a big name, such a big player, you know, possibly the greatest ever, uh, and he is not shy to throw his hands up in the air and castigate somebody if they don't pass him the ball at the right space. These guys are saying, you know, ex-pros, and you look at that with a guy of, of, of that ability, and you've got young players like Sancho, like Rashford, uh, even guys like Bruno Fernandes, um, who now are second-guessing themselves because they're like, if I don't pass this to him um, and I make a wrong or make a mistake, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get yelled at, and I don't want that to happen. So they take, they're taking safe options. And I, so I think uh, Ronaldo at the club is an issue as well, and as many goals as he scored last season, I think he's created more issues than he helped solve. Well, they have got um, a little bit of a break, and when I say that, it's about eight days away until they play next Tuesday um, against uh, a Liverpool side who uh, haven't exactly started with a hiss and a roar either. They were one all this morning um, on the back of uh, a draw with Crystal Palace where they had uh, Darwin Nunes sent off in the 57th minute. So uh, it's not going swimmingly either for Liverpool, but that'll be an interesting matchup. It'll be a very interesting matchup. There's a lot of work for Ten Hag to do before that. I mean, that game is at Old Trafford, but I mean, last time United played Liverpool at Old Trafford, they lost 4-0. Uh, Liverpool absolutely trounced them. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done. He needs to figure out uh, what he's going to do to fix it. I mean, you know, and that's the other thing too for De Gea. De Gea had a fantastic season last last season in goal for United, but he had Dean Henderson breathing down his neck. Now, Dean Henderson didn't feel like he got the opportunities he deserved, so they sent him out on loan. All of a sudden, there's no one pushing De Gea. There's no out-and-out number two there. 
So I think that's been an issue. And so what does Ten Hag do? Um, and, you know, you're right. It's a Liverpool team uh, that'll be turning up at Old Trafford without Darwin Nunes, their big signing uh, from the summer. And uh, they have two draws from their first two games, which is not how they saw the season starting. So, yeah, you've got Manchester United, Liverpool, both winless two games into the, or two rounds into the Premier League season. They're going to meet each other at Old Trafford. They'll both, both be gunning for a win. They both need a win, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And at the moment, you know, the way United are playing, even though Liverpool aren't on song, you'd think it's going to be difficult for United to get a win in that game. Tottenham uh, got out of jail yesterday, literally in about, uh, what, the 97th minute, I think it was. Uh, they got a late uh, goal courtesy of Harry Kane, two-all with Chelsea. Uh, but at the end of it, we saw a couple of managers going toe-to-toe, and, um, of course, both of them have uh, ended up with... Um, Red cards and uh, issues to deal with themselves. So, what is going on there? Yeah, well, I mean, Thomas Tuchel afterwards spoke, he, you know, and he said, "Look, you know, we should have won this game two 0 Both those Tottenham goals should have been ruled out." Um, and he's actually called uh, uh, Anthony Taylor, who refereed the game, to never referee Chelsea again. Um, and it's an interesting one because I've got some friends who are very big Chelsea fans. Uh, and when Anthony Taylor was named as the referee, they were like, oh, no, he always referees badly against us. Um, and they've pulled up a whole bunch of instances in the past where uh, big decisions and big games have gone against Chelsea when Anthony Taylor is in charge, and uh, sure enough, uh, that's what happened. So, yeah, Tuchel's thing was, you know, the first goal, there had been a foul on Kai Havertz. That, that's how Spurs had won the ball. And then when the shot, you know, when the shot had come in, uh, Rich Allison was in an offside position obscuring the keeper. Um, so should have, VAR should have gone upstairs and, and called that goal off. But even worse, I think, was the, was the second goal because uh, that came from the corner. And the corner before that, uh, Mark Cucurella, the big-haired uh, defender that just signed Chelsea from Brighton, uh, he had uh, Romero, the Tottenham defender, grabbed a whole handful of the back of his hair and yanked him to the ground by the back of his head, um, which probably should have been a red card. It was a violent conduct. Uh, it happened in front of the referee. He didn't do anything about it. It went upstairs to VAR. VAR didn't do anything about it. The goal stood. So you can see why Thomas Tuchel's annoyed. Uh, the first one, I think, you could probably you could argue either way, but I think I don't think there's any argument for the second one. I think VAR made it has had a howler, and uh, I also think Anthony Taylor's don't excuse for him not seeing it because it was right in his eye line. So, yeah, I think that is, uh, has led to a lot of this. And also, you know, these two very competitive managers, and when Spurs uh, equalised the first time, Antonio Conte ran and celebrated right in Tuchel's face. And then when, Tuchel, when, when Chelsea went ahead, uh, the second time Tuchel ran past the Spurs dugout and celebrated and ran down the touchline about 30 yards. So uh, they were certainly amping each other up and I think they're both going to have uh, potentially big sideline bans and uh, a lot of please explains. Arsenal and Manchester City have uh, started the, the season in a pretty impressive fashion although off the field uh, Manchester City are going to have to deal with uh, Benjamin Mendy's r- r- trial for um, eight counts of rape which is not going to be pretty it's going to be ongoing uh, he's pleaded not guilty so it's going to be a long drawn out affair hanging over hanging over or around the club. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, how this has been talked about more, I'm not sure. And, you know, it's it's been a, an issue for Manchester City as well on, on several counts, you know, because the thing that this, this arrest happened, he was arrested, he was charged, he was released on bail, and yet they, kept, they didn't suspend him. He kept um, training with the club. 
um, last season, and it was at the beginning of last season that that happened. Uh, it wasn't until the Manchester Evening News ran a story questioning why the club hadn't suspended him that they then turned around and suspended him. Um, and he hasn't played for them since, much like the Mason Greenwood situation at Manchester United. So uh, it's impacted them that way. I don't think it's been uh, a positive impact at all. I know the uh, the captain of the women's team at Manchester City, who have always been very successful, uh, has complained about it as well. She's, uh, they had a couple of players leave over it uh, from the women's team because he was still allowed to be in their changing, well, you're not changing areas, but their training areas and things. And they're like, we, sh- we shouldn't have a bloke like that around here. So it's causing that problem. But also, he was brought to solve their problem at left back, which has been an ongoing problem for them. Zinchenko, who they've just sold to Arsenal, had done the job, but he wasn't really a left back. He was a midfielder that Pep turned into a left back. And they've had Cancelo, who can play there, but he's more of a right back. So it's caused them that problem as well. They may have have, uh, solved it now. Uh, They've just signed a guy out of uh, the Belgian top division, uh, but he's only a youngster, so it'll be interesting to see how... He goes whether they throw, they trust him and put him straight in there, but it's certainly something that uh, Manchester City are going to have to keep an eye on. Right, let's uh, get away from uh, the uh, EPL, incidentally, in its 30th anniversary year, so uh, they're going to hope for uh, much better behaviour in and around it, I'm sure. Marco Rojas uh, enjoyed a, a stellar debut for Colo Colo in the Chilean League. Yeah, fantastic, wasn't it? To see him, he, he, um, he's obviously been there... Uh, they, he arrived middle of the season and he's come off an off-season, so it took him a little while to get up to speed. I interviewed Marco a couple of weeks ago. He's really enjoying uh, being in Chile. His dad is obviously Chilean. His dad's a, a super Colo Colo fan. He was as a kid too. They'd get the tapes sent over from Chile and they would sit down and watch them. He was telling me about that. And uh, fantastic to see him uh, get an opportunity. So he comes off the bench with about half an hour to go and then sets up the winner for them. Uh, at home in his first game. So, yeah, absolute fairy tale stuff for, for Marco Rojas. And uh, hopefully it means if he's playing at that level, I mean, this Colo Colo team, uh, one of the two biggest teams in Chile, they play in the uh, Copa Libertadores, which is like the South American Champions League as well. So they're playing all the top Brazilian and Argentinian teams. He's playing at that level. He should be able to force himself now, you'd think, back into the reckoning with the All-Whites, particularly if he can stay fit. I stumbled onto uh, the New Zealand women's under-20 side playing against Germany the other day. Hold on, uh, they held out for quite some time before Germany got to three second-half goals quite late. Uh, they've drawn also with Mexico 1-1. Uh, they're still in contention, uh, I think, to make the quarters if they can perhaps beat Colombia tomorrow. Uh, how do you see their performance in this tournament? I thought the game against Mexico was really good. Um, I thought I thought it was actually a pretty even game. You know, I, I expected the Mexicans to probably dominate it, and they and they did to an extent, but not as much as I thought they would. I thought um, Jim Lewis has the team playing some good football. They gave the Mexicans a lot of problems. They took the lead in that game um, for through a fantastic strike. So I think you know um, Grace Wisniewski's uh, strike uh, gave them one 0 lead in that game, and and they played really well. They didn't do that. We've got a 1-0 lead. Let's go back into our shell. They continue to attack. Um, and, you know, the Mexicans are a very good team. They, they pull one back. A 1-0 wasn't the worst result. But, yeah, Colombia is going to be interesting because the Colombians beat the Germans in their first game. So uh, that Colombian team is very, very good, very strong. And uh, they'll have to get a win there to qualify for the next round. A draw is not going to be enough after they lost to the Germans. And I think they'll be a bit disappointed about that because you were right. I thought they played pretty well in the first half. But in the second half, they just fell too deep and they just let the Germans come onto them and they couldn't really get out of their own half. It became a 
become a real issue for them. So I think they've done some really good things, but they were in an extremely tough group. And uh, I think, yeah, they'll be coming home after the group stage. I, I can't see them beating Colombia and, and, and making the knockouts, unfortunately. Okay, uh, Ricardo Ball, as always, uh, keeping us up to date uh, with what's happening, uh, particularly with Manchester United, but uh, in the world of football in general. Always great catching up, uh, Ricardo. Chat again soon. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, uh, Ricardo Ball there. Uh, it is uh, 11.22 here on SCNZ. And just uh, a little bit of uh, an eight-minute warning that uh, we will be playing for 250, 250 bucks uh, with Stump Smithy this morning just after 11.30. 0800 150 Start calling uh, when the news is on and the boys will uh, put the, the calls in order and we'll just uh, we'll see uh, who can uh, come away with uh, a major prize this morning. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Uh, text from Carolyn. I think we might be on the same wavelength, Carolyn. Uh, top four West Indian cricketers Michael Holding, Vivian Richards, Garfield Sobers and Brian Lara. Combined talent of those four gents is breathtaking. I think you're uh, pretty well close to what I might come up with uh, in around about to 12 minutes' time. Uh, Chris has come in and said, I don't get the constant bashing of Rico Iwani. Maybe everyone would have called him the best centre if he played for the Crusaders. You've got Conrad Smith, Frank Bunce and Manu all think he's a good centre but maybe some callers in this station know more than those former All Blacks. Mm, interesting perspective. Uh, and there could be um, a real issue for world cricket uh, bodies to sort out, particularly the countries in respect of uh, these new leagues, these new T20 leagues. There's more and more of them cropping up um, almost on a daily basis now, and there's a massive one uh, beginning uh, to start in January next year. Uh, and it's only a, a six-team inaugural edition of the competition, but it's going to be in the United Arab Emirates. And we know through golf that money ain't an issue in those places. Uh, and it's going to be uh, the second most lucrative 2020 tournament after the IPL in terms of player remuneration. Uh, so already um, they're working with uh, the likes of Australia and South Africa on how they can get the dates sorted out because it, they, they want it to imp- impact on their respective domestic uh, competitions, the BBL for instance which, which you know is hugely successful and popular uh, in Australia but if they were to lose some of their key players uh, it might not be uh, the media reports in Australia said Cricket Australia might block Chris Lynn, now Chris Lynn of course uh, along with Brendan McCullum really did set the IPL uh, alight when they were playing for the Brisbane Heat t- together, the Bash brothers uh, they were, uh, he was among the first list of marquee names released by the ILT as it's to be known last week uh, from uh, he may be banned from joining the league though by Australia who may well not give him the necessary clearance among the other marquee players announced by ILT20 uh, were England internationals Moeen Ali, Dawid Milan and Chris Jordan as uh, well as the West Indies all-rounder Andre Russell, Afghan bowler Mujib Rahman the owners of the Mumbai Indians, the Kolkata Knight Riders and the Delhi Capitals teams in the IPL have purchased ILT20 franchises well, Trent Bolt, of course, playing for the Mumbai Indians. They have a side in this ILT20, and I think we can start to join the dots together now as to where Trent Bolt might well be in January. It is uh, 11.30. Right, uh, let's get stuck into the show. It is time for one of you to win 250 bucks. 0800 150 811. Time to stump Smithy, and that'll be coming up after the news here with Araha. 
Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it is time for Stumped here on SNZ Morning. So many people are trying to call through Smithy. We even got people calling in on a landline. I can't remember the last time that has happened. Also, Smithy, uh, I mean, you've you've been here at the station longer than I have. You're a day one. Do you remember Stumped getting as high as 250 before? I don't. I think this is the max. I, I really think it's the max. It certainly hasn't got to 300 um, in, in my recollection. Uh, but certainly, uh, I think it may well have got to 200 on a couple of occasions. But I think this is, uh, if it's not the max, it's equal with the max. So good luck to some lucky punter. That's what <laughs> I say. Yeah, this this is crazy. I mean, I'm looking forward to this. We've been looking forward to this all day. Uh, first up at the crease, man might not have heard from in a while, Pac-Man from the Kapiti Coast. Come in, mate. G'day, mate. How you going? Yeah, good. How you doing down there? So far, so good. Yeah, it's all good down here. Nice. All right. So I'm just going to give you guys the topics and we'll, we'll go from yep. there. Uh, you can choose from today, Pac-Man, the Premier League, rugby or basketball? Mm. Premier League, thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good luck to you both. Okay, first question. These come from the man who knows Premier League probably better than anyone at the station, Ricardo Ball. Manchester City's new star striker, Erlen Haaland, represents which nation? Can you spell his surname? H-A-A-L-A-N-D. I'm going to give you about five seconds. <laughs> Netherlands. One of the worst things I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. Does sound right. like a bit okay. like a Dutch name, doesn't it, Smithy? Over to you. Yeah. It's Scandinavian, I think. And there's uh, four countries for, to pick from in Scandinavia. So, is it Finland? Probably not. Is it Norway? Maybe. <coughs> is it uh, is it Denmark? Maybe. Is it Sweden? Maybe. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Denmark. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket team. <laughs> A little snigger there, I heard that. Ah, you should have gone with your second thought there, Smithy. Norway is the answer I was looking for. So you're still still alive here, Pac-Man. Second question, which of the three new teams in the Premier League this season won in the opening round? Oh. Oh. Nottingham Forest. One of the worst things... I can feel right, the tension. This okay. is amazing. Uh, Smithy, over to you. Uh, well, that leaves me two, and I, I can't remember them both, but I will say I, can, I remember one Fulham. Fulham. Did Fulham win? <laughs> one That's of the draw. worst things I have no. ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> so, by a process of elimination, it was Bournemouth. <laughs> 2 0 versus oh. uh, <laughs> Villa. God, it's killing me. 250. 250 up for grabs here, Pac Man. Last question. Chris Woods, Newcastle United, bet who in their first game of the season? Oh, I don't have a clue. Um, Crystal Palace. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. I know this. I know oh. this. 
get out and, of here. And <laughs> and you have mentioned you've mentioned this side already this morning. You yeah, have mentioned go. it this morning um, as one of the new sides coming up. Um, you guessed Nottingham Forest. Well, they didn't because they went to St James's Park, and I'm 100 percent sure they lost to oh. Newcastle at St James's Park by one nil. Am I right or am I wrong? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and the way it goes. Oh, smithy! <laughs> wow, okay. I mean, we all know what that means. You've just jackpotted this after 300 $300, You better be nice and early, Pac-Man, tomorrow because these phone lines just absolutely went berserk and I can guarantee at 11.30 tomorrow morning they're going to do exactly the same thing. Thanks, mate. Uh, thanks for taking part. Oh, well done, mate. Sorry, yeah. I, sorry I goes up. I, I, I just because I followed Nottingham, uh, Nottingham Forest, and I was quite interested to see how they would start the season, and they did lose one 0 at uh, Newcastle. So, bum for them, and bummer for you as well, mate. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you shortly, eh? Okay. Cheers. See ya. Cheers, uh, Pac-Man there out of Capity Coast. So there you go. Eh? Uh, we're up to three hundred bucks. Three hundred bucks tomorrow don't be late dialing that's all i can say uh we're going to have some fun uh, after uh this break coming up because we're going to go to uh, our mount rushmore and talk about uh our favorite west indies and hopefully we've got a few clips as well to play around those particular players uh fascinating topic and we've had so much response this morning uh double eight double three we thank you for that see what we've come up with shortly this is mornings with ian smith on scnz <laughs> Right, uh, that is uh, Jimi Hendrix, of course, with his instrumental version of the Star Spangled Banner, and that uh, is uh, the signal for us to get ready for uh, our Mount Rushmore for this Tuesday. And today our subject has uh, been, and it's been popularly supported through the text machine as well, uh, favourite West Indian cricketers, cric- uh, cricketers or the cricketers you most admire or the best performed cricketers from uh, the Caribbean. Uh, so, uh, Logan, I'm going to let you uh, bat first on this occasion, to be fair, um, and uh, come up with your first option. Appreciate that, Smithy. Uh, checking out the pitch conditions here. Happy to bat first. Uh, my first one here for Mount Rushmore, judging by some of the texts we've gotten today, might not be a popular pick, but I guess in my generation, perhaps, I don't know, I'm talking about the universe boss, of course. Chris Gale loves to smash the ball, doesn't he? Over 10,000 runs and three and over 300 ODI matches, over 7,000 runs and 103 test matches, and of course he helped the West Indies claim a world T20 title back in 2012. This is the universe boss. He goes long! Yes, it's me. It's me. The world boss is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. World boss. <laughs> he then became the universe boss, doesn't he? Didn't he upgrade himself from the yeah. world boss to the universe <laughs> boss? <laughs> he did. Built um, out of his, uh, some of his money, he built in his house a, um, a dance floor stripper with um, a stripper pole uh, in the middle of it. Interesting bloke. 
we had a text in actually earlier which we can't read out as to what uh, how some guy got to know Chris Gale, but we won't uh, mention that one. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go to my number four, and this guy would be perhaps a lot of people's number one. But uh, the cal- the caliber of c- people in this category are so damn good, uh, and this bloke uh, was fantastic. Um, test uh, career test beating ranking of uh, number one. 121 test matches, 8,540 runs. This fellow uh, had a presence at the crease, which I've already explained earlier this morning. His exploits in uh, 1976 deserve close attention. In one calendar year, he hit seven test centuries in just 11 matches. Get that, seven out of 11. He is, without doubt, one of the great, most imposing batsmen in the history of the game, he is Sir Vivian Richards. Now they may be scattered, and it goes right over the top of the Seagulls, and that's six, and we thought this might happen with the introduction of Bracewell. Glorious on drive. Well, you can have him where you like. When he hits him like that, there's no way you can get him out. That went, oh, two, four, six, twelve, fourteen rows back. Right over the top of the seats. Is situated just behind the boundary rope. What a beautiful shot. That is just so classic. Yep. Brian, he found a clip playing against New Zealand. And who was the wicketkeeper that day, Smithy? Oh, I can't I can't remember. I just <laughs> absolutely can't remember. So uh, we'll move on. All right. Um, because uh, actually it was interesting to hear uh, that was Bill Laurie and Tony Gregg, the A-team, actually describing that as well. Rightio, number two for you. Uh, number two for me, Smithy is another another great... I mean, there's just so many greats of the game. I'm going to go here with Courtney Walsh. Uh, he busted into the scene in 1984, remained a force for the team until his retirement in 2001. Of course, created that amazing dynamic duo there with Sir Curtly Ambrose. Spoiler alert, he may also be on my list. This is Courtney Walsh. Smithy, the first to hit 500. Great longevity, terrific man, terrific captain too of the West Indies, and the voice you heard in the background there was that of the legendary and one-of-a-kind Tony Cozier, fantastic commentator. Right, uh, let's get on to uh, my number two. I'll just say two words, shall I? Whispering death. After five balls, Boycott was still there, but the sixth was simply unplayable. Boycott out for a duck. The most prized wicket had been taken. The over went mad. Boycott rates holding the fastest bowler in the world, and he hasn't changed his mind after this morning. England was six for one. <laughs> that was getting the uh, Michael Holding getting rid of uh, Sir Geoffrey Boycott, which was always a very popular wicket for the West Indies uh, quick bowlers. Sixty Test matches, he took 249 wickets at an average of 24 at one day level. 142 wickets at uh, 21. Whispering Death, the longest run-up in the game he did at one time. A lot of things go through your mind 
when Michael Holding was running towards you, I promise you that. And uh, hitting him through the covers was not one of them. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on to your number three. Uh, yeah, my number three, Smithy, and I think we are unanimous in this. He's just synonymous when I think of West Indian cricket. I could not leave this man out. And of course, I'm talking about Brian Lara. There goes the sweep. There it is. Perhaps the most significant single ever in the history of Test Match Cricket. Brian Charles Lara becomes the first man in the history of the game to register a score of 400. 582 deliveries, 776 minutes with 43 fours and four sixes. A remarkable human being. From that clip, Smithy, I think you can gather the West Indies, they knew how to break some records. They certainly did, and Brian Lara broke it twice, actually. He broke that to world record twice uh, to get to 400. Uh, yeah, uh, 130 tests, uh, 11,912 runs. Um, so he's an absolute brilliant player. His flourishing back lift, his cover drives, his on drives, simply outstanding, and his ability to bat for long periods of time, also quite outstanding. Uh, he surpassed Matthew Hayden's uh, test best of 380. 380. Okay, um, who's uh, next on your list there? Actually, incidentally, the commentary there was Bob Willis, the late Bob Willis. Um, all these uh, commentators... Brian keeps getting guys with commentary of players or commentators who have passed away. Brian, is there a current one still going? Okay, moving along. Uh, Logan, your, your last one. My, my last one of a guy was having a, a good old laugh at that one. Uh, my last one here, Smithy, is... Oh, my God. Th- this is just incredible. This is so crazy. Kurtley Ambrose, just one of the greatest bowlers ever, and, of course, he dismissed... He got seven wickets of one run against Australian Perth. I'm going to read out who he got... Who he dismissed, because this is, as I said... Insane. David Boone, Mark War, Damian Martin, the legendary captain Alan Border, Ian Healy, Merv Hughes, and Joe Angel. What a hit list that is, Smithy. Just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, all a lot of them good names. Joe Angel perhaps not, and Merv Hughes not perhaps not perhaps not, but I remember that. I remember that blast. It was on a pitch. On that pitch it was uh, a little bit Spicy, shall we say, up and down. Um, yeah, incredible spell of bowling. Right, okay, let's, um, shall we go um, to Gary Sobers, my number one? I think we will, yeah. Uh, Sir Garfold Sobers uh, possessed uh, uh, the most amazing range of skill to the fact that people still regard him as the greatest all-rounder in the game. Um, he just was simply brilliant. In one test match, he opened the bowling, and then he bowled spin uh, as well. He, he could do absolutely everything. He was a gifted fielder, a brilliant, elegant batsman, and most people that saw him play and are still alive to talk about it now, after all the raft of talented cricketers who have had around the world, still regard this fellow as the best of all time. Sir Garfield. Oh, this is incredible. Now, this is is, is six on the trots, a world record. Been done before, but uh, 70 on the board. And he's done it! He's done it! And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. Six on the trot. 36 and one over. My goodness gracious, what an over.
For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.